All right, that's right. I don't, I'll take a courtesy woo when it comes to the Bible. We are in this series called The Spirit-Filled Church. Right? Okay, let's go to the next click. So we have two fundamental questions that we're asking. We're pursuing. Here's the deal. We want to, when we say The Spirit-Filled Church, we want to learn what this meant so we can live what it means. How many want to live what it means? We don't want to just come to observe. We came to play. All right. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at this, the last few verses of chapter 11, and we're going to let this passage introduce a topic, or uh, we're, going to, we're going to kind of zoom in a little bit more, and we're going to look at what happened, and then we're going to explore it a little bit this morning. So, where we're looking at uh, what is the Spirit-filled church, beginning at verse 27 in Acts chapter 11. During this time, what time? The time that we have been reading about with the, the, uh, the birth and the development of the church in Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up. And through the Spirit, that's going to be really important today. Everybody say, through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to panic and prep. And move (laughs) and bury. No, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift uh, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, there's a couple of things happening here from a literary standpoint in terms of Luke's agenda as he's telling the story. He is introducing, he is, he is reinforcing the relationship between the, the burgeoning church in Antioch and the home church in Jerusalem. He is doing all kinds of things. He's locating his story in the context of history. He's also setting us up for Team Barney, Barnabas and Saul. He's going he's gonna to set us up for Acts chapter 13. You know, Luke is a great guy for, for the hidden backstory. There's almost always a backstory. When he's going to introduce the thing, he's going to tell it ahead of time. All of that's happening in a literary way, and it's exciting. We'll pick it back up in Acts 13. But what I would like us to consider today is what actually just happened and what it meant. What we see just from these first these, these, these collection of verses at the end of chapter 11 is this. The Spirit-filled church, if we're going to ask what we see about the Spirit-filled church just in those verses, we have to recognize that the Spirit-filled church ministers the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit-filled church, as we've said before, is filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit, and that same Spirit is active in the church. He ministers gifts in and through the church. Somebody just say spiritual gifts. So let's 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 talk about it a little bit. So when we we here's what happens is was is 
the, uh, the, the people are coming together, and they're, for what, we don't know the context, but at some point, a man named Agabus stands, and through the Spirit, that means the Spirit is the one at work. Would you say that out loud? The Spirit is at work. So he's at work, and through the Spirit, he predicts that there's going to be a famine, and he doesn't do so in a way that, that is intended to create a crisis or panic or whatever else, but the people immediately respond with faith. So he ministers the Spirit. People respond to that through, with faith and trusting obedience. They take action, and it results in meaningful ministry. They're, they do what they can to take care of other people. The result is meaningful ministry, and that is why we must embrace the gifts of the Spirit. We are a people. We are a place. We exercise, we practice, we depend upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Somebody should say amen. amen. So what are the spiritual gifts, and how should we approach them, and how do we get started? Or what? And if we're already started, how can we continue? Well, our, our, let's, let's, let's turn over to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter 12. That'll be a main outline for us, uh, where Paul writes to the Corinthian church to kind of explain and give direction about the gifts of the Spirit. We'll, we'll walk through it section by section, but verses 1 through 11 will be our main outline for the rest of our time together with one more verse after that. Here we go. Here's what Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. First three verses. What does Paul say right away? What do, what, what is, what do we learn right away about spiritual gifts? First of all, Paul wants us to know about spiritual gifts. He does not want us to not know. The Apostle Paul Christian does not want you to not know about spiritual gifts. He doesn't want you to ignore them. Hey, Christian, lean in a little bit. The Apostle Paul does not want you to ignore spiritual gifts. Ignorance, when it comes to spiritual gifts, is not bliss. Ignorance is disobedience. Okay, you know that if you talk, the more, the more you talk, the faster I talk. <laughs> Secondly, he wants us to know that the Holy Spirit is not mute. He is not, the Holy Spirit speaks. He introduces the concept by juxtaposing it against idolatry. Remember, Paul is a thoroughly Jewish man, thoroughly ensconced in the Jewish scriptures, and all the, the main criticism of idols, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, or the book of 12 as well, but the main criticism of idols, beyond the fact that they're just silly and goofy and immoral, and Ezekiel uses actually some bad language about them, but don't tell anybody I told you. Um, uh, uh, 
uh, the main criticism that the prophets lay against idols is that they can't talk. And they'll go through these long narratives about how people carve them and make them and fashion them and decorate them and sit them on their wall and then they sit there in silence. They're mocked for their muteness. And so Paul says to them, remember you were led away to these idols who are mute, but what makes the Holy Spirit different is he is not mute. He speaks. He has something to say. Man, I wish somebody would shake about. He has something to say. And he says, the Holy Spirit always ministers in loyalty to the name of Jesus. Most commentators can't figure out why the while Paul would, like, who in the world in Corinth is standing up saying Jesus is cursed? We don't know, but here's what we do know. Again, going back to the to reading the New Testament, the context of the Old Testament, that Paul is a thoroughly Jewish man, and that the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament expresses loyalty to the name of God. Always Yahweh, always Yahweh, the name of God, God, loyalty to God most high is always the end result or the motive behind this prophetic activity. And so in the New Testament, we read that that same Holy Spirit ministers in loyalty to the name of Jesus. Now that is a Mufasa moment. That means we know for sure again that once again we know that his name is the name above all names. And that the same Holy Spirit that's ministering throughout in the Old Testament is the same Holy Spirit ministering now. And he's still glorifying the name of the Lord. And Jesus is the name of the Lord. That's a good place to say yay. Then he says this, verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. It's true. There are, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone. Somebody say everyone. everyone. Take your neighbor's hand and kumbaya a little bit. In everyone, it is the same God at work. Verses 4 through 6, Paul affirms that the Holy Spirit is the source of all ministry. And that the Spirit ministers in various ways. Now, verse 7 becomes the governing sentence in the whole section. This sentence is going to govern the whole, our whole thought here. Verse 7 says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one. The Greek word there for each one is akastas. Akastas. If akastas. If John and Jeff and John and Mike and me, I shouldn't say, well, I was going to tease Mike. We all go to lunch, but we're all going to go Dutch. What's that mean? That means it costs us all the same. It costs us all the same. Everybody has an equal part of the bill. It costs us all the same. This is the word it costs us, each one. Each one particularly. Each, to each one in particular, equally, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. The manifestation of the Spirit. Would you say that, that word, the manifestation? 
If you're hoping for the Holy Spirit to be quiet, you came to the wrong book. <laughs> the manifestation of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are the Spirit of God in manifestation. The Holy Spirit is not acquiescent. He is not the P in pneumonia. We know it's there. We just don't mention it. Stays quiet. It's an honorary mention. It's there in our doctrinal statement, but not in our practice. <laughs> Where do you guys get the tomatoes from? We're all having a good time and whoa, what happens? not passive he is not mute he is not quiet we do talk about bruno it's a movie he is manifest to manifest means to be exhibited to be expressed to be felt and seen and known he is he is manifest in our midst to us and through us and the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good the word, again, there, the verb, is given, is present tense. It could be read like this, is being given. Not was being given, not occasionally given in different seasons or epochs, but is being given, is consistently being given. Why? For the benefit, for the advantage, for the good of everyone. In other words, the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is being given for meaningful ministry. All of these expressions should prompt, should provoke, should inspire us toward further trusting obedience to Jesus. Should incline our hearts nearer and more yieldedly and more devotedly to Jesus. Spiritual gifts should always leave people better than we found them. Now, in verses 8 through 10, Paul is going to give examples of what he just said. In, in 7, he said the manifestation of the Spirit is given for everybody. What does he mean by that? Verses 8 through 10 is going to exemplify. Let's read. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. Same Spirit. To another, faith. Same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. By that one Spirit. To another, this is how it sounds in the original. There's, to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, interpretation of tongues. Nine, nine examples Paul gives. And typically or historically or at times in a kind of a bumper sticker way, these are called the, capital T, capital N, the nine gifts of the Spirit. God Almighty, the creator of the cosmos, can only do nine things. Not eight, not ten, nine. No, 
Paul is using three sets of three. It's a rhetorical device specifically intended to express variety. That's why there's three sets of three. It's to express variety. Paul is not, he doesn't, he doesn't give us these examples to limit what God can do or our understanding of what God can do, but to express the largesse of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our midst. Here's how Paul presented these, how, how, how they have been understood. There is not a canonical glossary for this. Meaning there's not an author, it's not, there's not an authorized, ordained, anointed glossary for us to understand all these definitions and what they mean. The best we can do is try to compare them with the rest of the text of Scripture, what seems to be happening, and also be informed by the testimony of those who have gone before us. And so what we'll say is this. This is how these probably are best understood. Can I help you? With, can, I, can I say that? Paul says, first, a message of wisdom. This is a spirit-supplied message of counsel or insight shared with a person or with a per- or other persons or even received by yourself that looks forward. Someone say looks forward. It's about looking forward with counsel or insight. If I say the word revelation, I don't want to scare people. Like we're not, we're not talking about writing new Bible, but like something revealed, given counsel or insight about what you could or should expect or do in the future. It's not derived, it's not concluded, it's not the result of study. It is supplied by the Spirit. It could be advice, it could be an assignment, it could help you with strategery. It could do all kinds of things. Uh, A message of knowledge is the next one. This is a Spirit-supplied present awareness of a need or a solution. It is often shared to affirm to someone that they are known, that their circumstances are known, that God sees them and God knows them. Again, that draws them back into trusting trusting obedience. It also opens the door for further ministry. It may help solve a problem. It may help reveal an answer. This idea of this word of wisdom and word of knowledge, they work together. Don't no need to try to separate them. It's, this is the Holy Spirit helping us. I've talked to you before about when, when I have prayed and asked the Lord and, and felt like I've given, been, been given sp- uh, kind of sometimes, I say specific, but, you know, it's not like concrete, like black and white, but I get a, di- a general a, a direction of what I'm supposed to do in terms of ministry. Uh, I, I, I talked to you months ago about praying in the Spirit and responding as a presbyter and traveling to these churches and really miraculous coincidences that came about. This past week we were at conference, and I, and I it was so simple but so specific. I knew exactly exactly what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to hug every neck of people that I'm responsible for and pray with them. So every time there was an altar call, I got to be honest, I didn't really remember what the altar calls were about. I just wandered the room. I just would, I would reconnoiter the room, find anybody that I knew. I grabbed their neck, pray with them, lay my hand on them, pray together. One guy saw me praying with people and he went, <laughs> I said, all right. So I went in there. Homeboy hugged me so hard, he almost broke my nose in his, in his collarbone, but he just kept hugging. I thought, well, Lord, this guy must need some prayer. <laughs> yeah. It's not often that I get hugged too hard. I was like, all right, Lord, this is really something. Here. Yes, Jesus. To another faith. Faith. Faith is a spirit-supplied confidence to face a crisis or a need or an opportunity 
or a spirit-supplied capacity to receive or believe something for yourself or on behalf of someone else. It is, this, it, is, it is something beyond the maturity or the growth of our faith where the Lord gives us an instant grace to believe and it just, it, 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 you can just tell it feels easy to believe. It may, it may lead you to radical obedience or a, or a radical sacrifice or to do something you've never done before or to walk into something, but this is what the Lord is on our side. He's not, he's not holding back for us and waiting to see if we have enough faith. If we lack any faith, he's fully capable of supplying it. Amen. To another, gifts of healings. Your Bible says gift of healing, probably, and that's or gifts of healing, and that's fine. But in the, in the original, both nouns are plural. It doesn't make sense in the English to put two plural nouns together. But it, it, it sounds like this. To another, gifts of healings. Plural. Plural gifts for plural healings. In other words, shortly spoken, each need for healing is a candidate for a gift. Not everybody needs the same healing. Lots of needs of healings in a room. And there's a gift for each one. And if you want to, and, and whether it's true or not, it preaches good. It's even got your name on it. To you. From Jesus. Gift of healing. These, the Spirit gives these gifts to us and through us. To another, miraculous powers. I know that in a world of the Marvel Universe, we think of hammers and capes and lasers. But it means the working of miracles. This is something that's presented differently than healing, although healing is, of course, miraculous. But this, this, this implies some divine mitigation of nature. The Spirit prompts us to speak or to act or to pray in a way that mitigates nature or that intervenes in the natural order like turning water into wine, like turning a snack into a feast or multiplying resources or more more money at the end of your month. To another prophecy. Now, this should be understood a little bit uniquely because it's presented differently than the formal, former uh, verbal expressions, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Not that they have to be different, but Paul wants us to see something or that, that it may not be a wis- word of wisdom, may not be a, a, a word of knowledge. But here prophecy should best be understood, again, from the context of specifically 14.5, uh, chapter 14 and verse 5. Prophecy should be understood as speaking the heart of God to a person or persons for the purpose of strength, encouragement, or comfort. Speaking the heart of God for the purposes of strength, encouragement, or comfort. The Spirit will prompt a simple or a specific message that we will share with someone else to strengthen them, to encourage them, or to comfort them. It's so important that we don't unnecessarily attach to the word prophecy some idea of fortune-telling or future-telling. It may include prophecy, may include that word of wisdom. It may include a word of knowledge, a problem, a miracle. It may include all these things. But the purpose of prophecy is to strengthen the heart of the hearer so that they will respond in continual trusting obedience to Jesus. will lead to meaningful ministry, which is what Agabus did. He stands up and speaks the heart of God 
that included a revelation, an insight about the future. They responded to that, and it resulted in meaningful ministry. To another, Paul says, the distinguishing between spirits or the discerning of spirits. If you've been in church for a minute, you might have heard people say, well, I have the gift of discernment. And what they mean is they're actually mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's my gift of discernment. No, you're mean. It's, it's, you, have the, you, have a, you have a gift of criticism and it came from a spirit, but not the Holy Spirit. Remember, all of these are for the good of the recipient. So the discerning of spirits seem to suggest that there are different spirits at work, and not just the Holy Spirit and evil spirit. That, and that doesn't always take discernment. It can. But one time I was like, I, one time I was in Kinshasa, and I came down from, a, from an altar. I'm not, this is not hyperbolous. It's the truth. There's at least 10,000 people in this arena. And there's this giant altar time. We've been in church for five hours because if you know, the other, everybody else in the world, when they go to church, they don't stop. Can you imagine having four services of five hours? Yes. Anyway, uh, so it's hour number five, and I've already used the restroom twice. I come down there, and there is this lady writhing on the floor, contorting, moving on the floor like a snake and making all kinds of gross noises. And my interpreter says to me in wisdom, that is not the Holy Spirit. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I was too tired to be courteous. I said, I know. I didn't, I didn't need a gift of discernment. The, the discerning of spirits here seems to have a far more strategic intent to understand that it's not just the Holy Spirit versus unclean things, but different kinds of unclean spirits, different things at work. What's the agenda here? What's going on? It's, more, it's not just for observation, hmm, but for action, for intervention. Then finally, Paul mentions different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Outside of this passage, when tongues are discussed, uh, it, we, it, it is always a spiritual language of prayer and praise. It is a spiritual language of prayer and praise unknown by the speaker, supplied to us by the Spirit. It is a mystery, and it's also normal. It reminds us that we serve a God, that God is real, that there is, there is an age beyond this. It is a heavenly language supplied to us by the spirit for prayer and praise and intercession and edification in this context paul seems to indicate that that same language can be used to minister to other people in a way that will edify them encourage them strengthen them but to do so it needs to be interpreted so if i'm talking to god i'm praying in the spirit but if i'm going to pray and if i'm going to talk in tongues and talk to you we're going to need an interpretation. Otherwise, you will not understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> but it can, it can and should be expected. It may not be as, be as common, but it is present, and it's God's idea. It's right, right here in the book. 
So for it to, to, for it to be meaningful, it will be interpreted. And when interpreted, we should expect it to be meaningful and have the same influence or impact on us as prophecy or another verbal gift. Finally, verse 11, we wrap up. All of these are the work of the one and same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. All of these are the work of the same spirit. All of them. That means we, that, means the, that we must show honor toward each of these expressions the same way that we would honor the Spirit. We don't get to reclassify them, organize them. It's not a smorgasbord. Oh, I didn't want any broccoli. No, all of these are from the same Spirit. And He distributes them. He does not withhold them. He distributes them to each one, not just to a select few. He is the Holy Spirit and His gifts. They are not a reward for your good behavior. They are the source for your good behavior. And he, he distributes them as He determines, meaning all of these are His idea. He is the boss, we are the stewards, and we minister accordingly. How should we approach them as we wrap this up? Oh, I'm doing so good on my time. How should we approach these? Really simply, very quickly. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. What is the biblical approach to spiritual gifts? You know, if you stay close to the Bible, you stay close to being biblical. For, <laughs> I can't tell if that guy's dumb or profound. <laughs> First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14.1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. How should we approach spiritual gifts? Number one, follow the way of love. Someone saying out loud, follow. follow the way of love. Let love lead you. I am a, this is people, you're going to, I was in a workshop and somebody said, yeah, well, what about in this other situation? I said, I don't mean to be a one-trick pony, but yeehaw. Follow the way of love. Follow the impulses of love. Follow the weight of love. Follow that prompting of love. Let love govern what is possible. Love tends to just mess with stuff. Let love decide what's possible or probable. Well, it may not seem, it may not feel reasonable or practical, but when you inject love, it just changes all the rules. Love makes us do crazy, wonderful things for people. Follow the way of love. Love moves us beyond our inhibitions. Love overflows the walls of hesitation. Love does what reason fears. Spiritual gifts are divine expressions of love. Too often, people are too forensic with what Scripture has located in our affections. Spiritual gifts are not for the laboratory table, for dissection. Those are for dead things. They are located in our affections. I'm not going to tell you. In my notes, it says a little less conversation, a little more action, please. <laughs> All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. 
It's in there. I just haven't said it yet. <laughs> but I can hear the song. <laughs> follow, the, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. This is about obedience. It's a command. This is a, this is a Pauline direct imperative desire the gifts of the spirit and eagerly desire them there is no room for our apathy no room for apathy. well you can say well I'm, I'm open but cautious that's up to you that's fine but there's no bible for it the word is fever the word is fever i know i know everybody's going what fever but uh it may burn with a fever for spiritual gifts. Our response to spiritual gifts has to be this. I have a fever. And the only prescription is more spiritual gifts. <laughs> Especially prophecy. Now, I, got, I grew up, I was mad at Paul. I was mad. I, thought, I wish he would have said, like, healing or miracles there. Why prophecy? And then when you lean into the text, it, everything makes sense. Because prophecy is always helpful. Always. You don't always have a migraine. I hope you never have a tumor. But you are always a candidate for strength, for encouragement, for comfort from the heart of God. Prophecy always will lead us into that trusting obedience. Prophecy will always prompt our hearts to lean into Jesus. It will often open the door for other ministry. And it always, always leaves people better than we found them. So how do we get started? Three things, we'll all wrap it up. Three things. Number one, if you want to get started or continue in the ministry of the Spirit, here's what I suggest. First of all, Starts with your conscience. To minister the Spirit, you need a clean conscience. Not, I don't suggest that you need to be perfect in your righteousness, but if your conscience is troubled, God's mercy always overcomes our failures. He never waits for our perfection. He, he responds to our faith. But our consciences can be terribly buggersome. If there is sin or there is shame or there is guilt on our minds, it creates such static. It becomes so problematic to hear the heart of God when our minds are full of our own guilt or full of resentment or when we are defensive or critical or just plain grumpy. Have a clean conscience and seek to have an uncluttered conscience. Instead of trying to think about or be distracted by everything all around you, outside of your grasp, outside of your ability, if we want to minister the Spirit, we need to learn to try to live as fully present in this moment as the Holy Spirit is. Learn to practice a loving awareness of the people around you, circumstances around you. One way to do that is just kind of being almost constant murmuring prayer about what's going on 
and it'll bring you right back into the moment. If you're like me, your brain's usually 14 miles away somewhere else, and your wife wonders how you even drive. <laughs> Conscience. Clean and uncluttered. Secondly, confidence. Confidence. Believe that the Lord has something good to say or do for someone around you. And believe that he has something for you to do about it. Confidence. Thirdly, I'll say it again, compassion. Let love lead you. Follow love's impulse with humility and honor. Spiritual gifts are served. They are not shoved. Let love lead you. Here's a super practical approach. Put that last click up there, will you, please? Here's what I would suggest. Ask Jesus what he would say or do for someone. Someone next to you, family member, Someone you're praying with at church. Someone you're standing next to at the grocery store. Ask. Someone paraphrased me earlier this week for this sentence, and I, I was mad at them for it. I repented. But apparently not very effectively because I'm bringing it up. They said, yeah, that's a good idea. Ask, if Jesus were here, what would he say? And I'm thinking, why do you start with unbelief? He is here. I'm not going to say if Jesus were here. That's, gonna, that's this emptiness. I, that makes me feel empty. But I say Jesus. I say his name. Talk right to him. Jesus, what would you say? What do you want to say? What do you want to do for this person? And then I follow the impulse of love in humility. Make sense? Let's stand again. Would you take a moment right now, right where you are? It might help you to close your eyes, but you can't do that while you're driving, so you don't have to. But just ask him right now. Jesus, is there somebody that you have something good to say or something good to do for that you want me to do it or say it? And Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? Would you lead me, Lord? Because this is your idea to minister meaningful ways by your spirit because that is the spirit-filled church friends if you would like someone to pray with you this morning someone to pray with you to walk into the infilling of the holy spirit someone to maybe minister the gifts of the spirit to you you have a further need in your life i'm going to ask my prayer workers to come and find the way right here across the front the rest of us I pray that you go from this place looking for an opportunity to partner with Jesus to do something good for somebody else. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep his, cause his face to shine upon you, keep his hand upon you. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great Sunday. If you'd like prayer, let's pray.